0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you this week. I am joined by Josh Weidman, lead pastor at Grace Chapel in South Denver, Colorado. Josh is passionate about communicating the gospel, and as a teen, traveled as a Christian illusionist before heading to Moody Bible Institute. Josh's first ministry assignment after Moody was at Harvest Bible Chapel in Illinois. From there, he served at a few churches before becoming the lead pastor at Grace Chapel. Now, in this week's episode, Josh opens up sharing what he learned about healthy and unhealthy leadership from his experiences ministering with James McDonald at Harvest Bible Chapel. Josh talks about moving beyond failure and he shares his thoughts on the restoration process for those in ministry. We also discuss the important balance between humility and confidence in ministry leadership. This is a very open and honest chat, so please join me in my conversation with Josh Weidman. Josh, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's such a joy to have you with us today.
1: Jason, I got to tell you, I'm so stoked to be on this podcast. You've had some of my heroes of the faith and some of my best friends on this podcast. So to be welcomed on the show is a great honor. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Awesome, Josh. Um, now, I, we want, we're going to be talking about healthy leadership, unhealthy forms of leadership, and you've had um, lots of experience. You now serve as, as a lead pastor. You've been staff pastor uh, at different churches, and you've had the opportunity to kind of see and witness um, different types of leadership and, and some um, some really healthy things and some really unhealthy things as well. And so um, yeah, sure you, you were on staff at, at Harvest. Um, I was. So what did your time at Harvest really kind of teach you about healthy and unhealthy forms of leadership?
1: Oh, man. Well, there's great things on both sides of that question that I could answer. Uh, Harvest was the first church that I served at, and I'm now at my fifth assignment from the Lord. Uh, But I look it back. Uh, what it was like getting into Harvest and what God brought to me through that experience. It's exactly as you said, there's been both sides. I, I learned great things there, and I learned some really hard things there related to worship. So I'll highlight a couple of the great things. Uh, um, my time there was kind of initiated by uh, James McDonald, inviting me to come and be a part of a the youth ministry team under a leader named Craig. And um, I got some exposure to James McDonald that was really – in uh, beneficial to me related to preaching. I was able to spend time with uh, His research team. I was able to spend time with a guy by the name of David Jones Who's a great pastor and and researcher and scholar and then I got to be around James I got to see how he formulated messages and I uh, learned a lot from his example there there are things that I learned from his uh, preaching process but also his preaching delivery that still impact me to this day uh, ways that he highlighted his notes you know I have, I have I've posted about that on my own website but I I've learned about uh, five different colors that I use with my highlighters and the way that I take my outline in my Bible and the way that I speak with authority about God's word I mean there were so many things that I learned about preaching from watching him preach and while James has disqualified himself from ministry according to his elders just a couple of months ago uh, I do believe believe that there were things he was doing that were wrong, but God was using him to convey a message that was right. And there were so many things I learned about how to convey a message from him and the skill set or just the, the pure raw talent that he had that influenced me as a preacher. I also – one of the benefits that I walked away with from him is learning to lead with confidence. My dad and I were just talking about this. There was a time where uh, James was – and had invited my dad into his office and my dad was a vice president, a focus on the family at the time and overseeing the National Day of Prayer. And James looked at my dad with all – Boldness and said, you know, I I know people want to follow leaders that are strong And then he said I am that man, you know people want to follow me and my dad was laughing the other day He goes, you know what? that guy was right. He goes, he just, he, people wanted to follow him because he was strong and uh, he, he was directive. And while he abused his leadership, I believe at times uh, he also used his leadership uh, to, to be clear and get great things done. And so put that in a positive context. I think one of the things I struggle with at times as a church leader and a pastor is to have confidence and to believe that what I'm doing, uh, I should lead with boldness in or as Al Mohler talks about having a conviction to lead. How do I have that? Well, I watched James model, maybe sometimes pride for sure, but I watched him model conviction to lead and that has influenced me in the leadership realm that I'm in now. But Jason on the other side, man, I learned I learned uh, I learned a lot about spiritual abuse. I learned a lot about abuse of position and power. Um, I learned how not to treat people uh, even in the midst of conviction, what not to say to people in order to get your way. There are some things that were greatly displeasing to the Lord I believe that happened in James leadership that happened maybe among others there and certainly have probably even happened in my leadership. At times, I have to constantly be at war with the King Saul that is within me um, and wanting to advance maybe my own agendas or my own um, name. And I need to be killing the King Saul within me and and have more of a heart of David that's after serving the Lord and and knowing him first and foremost. So I learned a lot about how not to treat people uh, from my time at Harvest, and namely, abusing the position or the authority that we're given by God in order to get things done. And that's a caution that I live with every single day.
0: Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. It's, it's one of those things that in life, all of our experiences, there are things that we um, that we learn from that are you know positive, as, as you said, things that we take away and that we can uh, use as an encouragement in our, in our ministry. And then there are other things that, that we see um, and we learn from kind of on the negative side, right? And so we learn kind of what not to do. And yeah. as we look at um, Harvest and, and James and what has happened there, what, um, what do you think that, that um, leadership, you know, what are the takeaways for the um, broader evangelical church when it comes to looking at what happened at, at Harvest? What are things that the church, you know, kind of as a whole can kind of take on?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, the truth mentioned in Daniel, but also in Peter uh, Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar says God can, uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace. And Peter obviously kept, picks up on that same idea, gives grace to the humble. And we see the other apostles at times getting to that in their writing. I think the broad thing that we must learn from a leader falling, especially if it is um, – the overt sin of pride is to not point fingers and say, wow, look at how prideful he was because that in and of itself is prideful. But to say, uh, wow, so easily I could go down the same path of being caught in the current of pride. And, you know, I believe pride is the root of all sin anyway. But I think sometimes pride in leadership um, is our chief occupational hazard. We have to lead with confidence. We have to be um, proud in a righteous way of the God that we serve and the mission that we're after, but we have to constantly be serving with humility. And I think the broad broad lesson for all of us here is, hey, we have to remember, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we do not have sincere, uh, not not forced fake Christian um, humility, but if we don't have true, sincere Humility that God can see and that God knows if we don't have that in our heart, then we're not going to accomplish anything great for the kingdom. And I think that is the broadest lesson related to specifically to what happened with McDonald and what we're even watching happen in in these subsequent months.
0: Yeah, that's good. And and as you talk about that, um, balancing that confidence uh, with humility— uh can you dig into that a little bit more like how how are you practically doing that or how have you seen that reflected in your own ministry where um you're you you are sincerely trying to um be humble and and grow in, in your humility yet at the same time um you you did mention that confidence that you have to have as a
1: leader yeah Well, man, I feel like I'm about the last guy that should probably speak on that, but (laughs) I struggle with it the most. And so I'd love to get a shot at your question. I think for me, Jason, one of the things that I've learned is um, humility is about motivation much more than it's about action. So when it comes to dealing with my own heart and and having an attitude of humility, I have to constantly be questioning my motives. Um, I think so often as a preacher and as Christian leaders, we think about action um, and and we think about maybe mindset or knowledge, but we don't always talk about – Motive and what's happening on the heart level, and I've even grown in my biblical counseling training and and in my own biblical counseling with others, or even me being biblically counseled. I've I've really grown to see that the Bible really gets at a heart motivation, just as it gets to knowledge and action. It's constantly calling us on what what is your real heart behind it. And so, so to answer your question, I think when it comes to staying humble and realizing God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I think we have to question our motives all the time. And it's not questioning our motives to the point where we self-deprecate or lose confidence, but it's questioning our motives saying, am I really doing this because I want to promote Christ or I want the bride of Christ to flourish? Or is this about me promoting my own name? Is this about me gaining my own popularity? And there have probably been times where I've even said, well, I do this because if my name grows and people trust me more, then I can point them to the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. And there's still a hint of my motivation being more about me. And so I I think, really we. have to keep our motives in check. And that happens in the silence of our own hearts. It happens in consistency with God's word and in prayer. It happens by being sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and him calling us on things when that little still voice in our heart says, hey, is that more for you or is that more for God's glory? Being sensitive to that And then finally, I think the the other way is just devices that keep me on the right track. I have certain things that I do on a regular basis. Like, for example, anytime somebody compliments my preaching, uh, I will say to them, well, thank you and for God's glory. Right? i have trained myself to say for god's glory after every compliment that i receive for my preaching now that isn't just for them in fact i would even say it's not really for them i say that to remind my heart that the reason that i preach is for God's glory right those compliments that they give me about my preaching is for God's glory right so i'm i'm i have little devices like that or accountability things in my life uh, with certain people that that are constantly directing me back to remind myself why i do what i do and to stay humble humble because God will exalt the humble and help the humble, but he'll oppose the proud.
0: That's good. I I love that. Thank you for giving us a little peek. Um, What about whenever, uh, as pastors, ministry leaders, we all face criticism at times. And um, can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about how to handle um, when people might be critical?
1: Yeah, for sure. I st- <laughs> I struggle with that one as well. I feel like I should, should probably be the last guy to speak about it. But I, I man, it can sink me. Uh, I, I tend to take criticism from others um, and I measure their criticism in pounds and I measure compliments in ounces. So if someone's nice to me, I, I might say, well, thank you. But it really rolls off. But if somebody criticizes me, oh my goodness, I, I give so much weight to that and it can sink me. And so one of the things I've tried really hard to do is lean in on Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it talks about renewing your mind <clears throat> and and thinking uh, God's thoughts after him. But that passage, it goes on to say, you know, anyone who thinks too highly of himself, uh, he, he ought not do that, right? He needs to remember who he is before God. Well, I've realized my self-deprecation is me thinking maybe not too highly of myself but way more more about myself than i should and so sometimes i'll take criticism and i i'll mull over it and oh man i can be an agony on a sunday afternoon right or i can mm-hmm mole over something throughout the week that somebody said to me about my Sunday message. And I've just realized it's actually sinful and wrong for me to be thinking more about that criticism than I ought, uh, according to Romans 12.3. I need to make sure that I'm I'm renewing my mind, Romans 12. 2. We're thinking God's thoughts after him and letting those criticisms Bear the weight that they need to, because there's often truth in the criticism that I need to hear. But then letting it go and not self-deprecating, and not measuring my failures in pounds and my successes in ounces. I have to. I have to realize even my failures are in the sovereign grip of God, and to back away from those things and not mull over them more than I should.
0: Yeah, that's good. And and, you know, it's interesting because um, there there are kind of a a few different ways that people deal with criticism, And, and some. And, and I can resonate with with you to, to some degree that you know criticism it stings a little bit and you know sometimes we might give it more space in our lives than, than we need to um, but then there are others who their personality is you know who are you to criticize me you know I'm yeah. I'm you know I'm, I'm doing God's work here and just kind of bulldoze through that have you had yep. e- have you had experiences um, or you know witness leadership where it kind of Uh, there's no room to even kind of talk through things, um, you know, or or to critique, even if it's, you know, what we call constructive criticism or or trying
1: to be helpful? Absolutely. I mean, I I would say that was part of what I experienced at Harvest. Um, At least the, the areas that I saw, I would say there was very little room for there to be criticism that was really listened to, and again, I wasn't on the elder board, so maybe there's, maybe there were areas I didn't see that happen with James or with other leaders. But um, man, there was it was more if you criticize, you're on the outside, and the culture had been built that way. And I've experienced that even since then, where um, a leader can really create a culture where criticism is not allowed. And, um, it has, it has very negative impact, uh, big and negative impact for, I think everyone. Uh, but I've seen the opposite where you can build a culture of it. I mean, for, for us at our church, I read through my sermon, uh, in front of my staff sometime in the week prior to giving it. Um, I do that because I want them to give me positive criticism, but I have to realize that that's going to, Maybe come with some spikes <laughs> they might say some things I don't like um, and I, can, I can't I can lash back at them, uh, but I need to listen to them with an open heart. And then on Sunday uh, or excuse me, on Monday morning, I get my whole staff together and then they review my sermon and they tell me where I could have done better and where things maybe were said that shouldn't have been said. And, and they'll, they'll tell me positive things as well. Um, so I think th- 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 my point is, yes, I've experienced a culture where criticism is not allowed and I'm trying to build a culture where criticism is welcomed, but I will often say your criticism has to first come uh, from some type of theological conviction or biblical conviction. Second, from pastoral preference. So what do you think is best for the people of God? And third, from per- personal opinion. So you, you're, you don't speak from personal opinion first. And I'm trying to train our staff or our people, hey, speak through the lens of the Bible first, you can come at it then from a conviction of what's best for the people of God. And then third, from your own personal opinion. But please speak your criticism in that way. And I find as we hold to that, it builds a culture where criticism's okay. And then when it's spoken, we realize, man, there's some truth in that. And they're saying that because they love me, not because they're trying to hurt me
0: yeah that that's golden right there josh i love that i love those, those three ways to walk through it and and uh, as, even as you're saying that i think yeah people tend to reverse that um, no matter mm-hmm. what the criticism you know it may not be criticism you know directly about something going on at church but just even what's happening in the country or whatever it might be. People tend to, yeah. you know, go with their personal opinions first and foremost, as opposed to stepping back and, and looking at, you know, what's God's perspective on this? What's the biblical perspective on this and walking totally. that through? So, yeah, yeah, I love that. That's, that's, that's great advice. Um, yeah. can, can you tell me, um, are, are there other ways that your experience at Harvest has shaped your your ministry today that you can, that you can kind of look back on and say, yeah, here's some— some specific things that, that I know came out of um, some of the experiences I had at Harvest.
1: Yeah, I think one of the greatest things that Harvest provided for me was a resolve to, to make the Bible um, prevalent in every environment of our church. And so as a church leader, I'm constantly thinking about how is the scripture um, showing itself in this area or that area? So we we have biblical authority as one of our core values. Uh, I would say that's a that's right out of time that I learned at Harvest of the Bible wins always. This this weekend, let me give you a real pro, real life practical example. I bet okay. other pastors can can uh, identify with this. So this weekend we have a worship service that ends up going man way almost ten minutes longer than we planned it, maybe even longer than that maybe 13 minutes longer and we get done with first service and um, some of my staff is upset about how long it went. Some of the worship team is like, man, that just seemed to go long. And and let's be honest, they're, they're talking mostly about my preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I knew, I knew I needed to make a change and I had committed to them that I was going to pull back uh, a little bit coming into this year, just because of some of our target goals with what we're doing with our kids ministry and helping our kids volunteers and things. Well, I had, I, I had to have a conversation middle of the services, and one of the conversations was with my staff during the turn and greet. So people are greeting each other in the service right before I go on stage. And and we're having a conversation about value. And what we're doing there in that context is saying, the word wins. That's what I said to him. I said, the word wins. And I, I have heard now that our, our worship leader was backstage saying, listen, the word wins. I made a call as I was walking up in that turn and greet to cut the last song, a second service, and and, and it was upsetting to our worship team. In fact, they I guess w- while I'm preaching, they're back there going, how can we get Josh to change his mind while he's <laughs> preaching the message? Right.
0: They're praying really hard. <laughs> <And> now, yeah. <laughs> Speak to him, <them>, Lord. <laughs>
1: But but you know I know that I know the room better than anyone else. I know the clock better than anyone else. In that moment, I, I'm watching the people's faces, and I believe we made the right call. But but I, they they understood. And even Monday when we debriefed it, the word wins. The word always wins. And I got to tell you, that's probably one of the main things I took away, Jason, from Harvest was, the word wins. Right. We're here to express Christ as supreme in every one of our environments. I never want to elevate the Bible. Higher than Christ, if if you know what I mean. Right, I mean, the right. Bible elevates Christ, but but I the the resolve that Harvest had, and maybe even specifically James had to make sure that the word always wins. That's something that's impacting my leadership every single day at Grace Chapel.
0: That's that's very cool. Now, Josh, you do have a book that's releasing this summer, and uh, yeah, the book is about anxiety. The topic is anxiety. Um, did you learn yeah. anything from your time at Harvest about dealing with anxiety?
1: Uh, not, no. I wouldn't say that I learned anything, per se. But I would say that's where pastoral anxiety began to grab me by the jugular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll remember nights I lived in some people's basement in, out in Elgin, Illinois. I remember nights where I would, you know, I would be crying so hard and so burdened by what I was dealing with. Um, with my relationship with James or my relationship with others at the church that I would be crying so hard. I would be biting down on the sheets between my teeth in hopes that I didn't wake them up. Those who are upstairs, the, the people who own the home. Uh, so it probably started there. Um, and then I, you know, I've been a pastor now, it'll be 14 years this year. And I would say pastoral anxiety and depression has been something that has come in waves for me through my pastoral ministry. And I've I say that I've wrestled with the Lord then, and he's touched all three of my hips trying to keep me into ministry because mm-hmm. I just don't – there's times I don't want to stay. So I've really dealt with it a lot um, to be honest and it probably started back then and I, I think we probably underestimate um, pastoral depression and anxiety. At times, I think we don't talk about it enough. And it is a real problem that pastors are facing. And I'm going to be a, one of those pastors who's quick in that line to say, yeah, I deal with it too, because I'm broken. I, you know, I'm in a hospital bed, just like everybody else, waiting for the great physician to heal me and continue to work, do his work in me. But um, it's a real thing. So yeah, Jason, I'm, I'm releasing a book uh, July of this year. I'm really excited about it. But it's a, called The End of Anxiety. And um, it's my journey to try and find a way to make anxiety end. But I realize there isn't actually an end per se, but the ch- if the chief end of all things is to glorify God, then I have to trust that the end of my anxiety, the chief end of my anxiety is also to glorify God. Hmm.
0: That's good, brother. That's good. We'll be looking forward to, to the release of that book this summer. Um, I, I was just wondering, as as you kind of, again, and I know we've talked a lot about your time at Harvest, um, but it's interesting because that was your first ministry assignment, you know, after you uh, got out of school, you, you explained, and then um, just in light of, of the culture there and a lot of things that have been happening, um, it, it's it's kind of helpful to talk to someone who's who's lived part of that. But in kind of the, the grand scope of things, because we've seen uh, several ministry leaders and in, in that have have fallen in some way, and a lot yeah. of them are big name, you know, ministry leaders. But we yeah. know that there are other ministry leaders that no one really knows, except maybe you know, inside their own town, um, that struggle with more moral failure and those types of things. Uh, yeah. What, what is your thought on when is a leader who has has fallen? Um, mm-hmm. When is a leader ready to be restored? And, and and do you have any thoughts on on kind of when that happens, what that process might look like?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's probably t- two part. When is that person fully disqualified? I just I wrote an article about that recently on my website, but I also think it ties to when are they ready to be restored. Um, I think it all ties back to repentance. And I think the Bible is very clear about repentance and that we should be repenting several different times. And it talks about the way that we as leaders are supposed to conduct ourselves in First Timothy 5. It talks about calling out an elder or a leader who is unrepentant. Um, So I think, you know, the first part of it is realizing when a person is disqualified and you're right, sometimes it's big names and sometimes it's no names, but there's still men of God that are serving. And if they have a pattern of sin um, and no repentance, then it's clear they need to step out of ministry. And I believe there are also magnitudes of sin that um, break trust so much that a person should not remain in a pastoral position. In fact, I remember James telling me that, and uh, that's even been used against me, to be frank with you. But somebody, I remember telling, saying that in a video once, of, James said to me once, he said, um, if a person messes up, they, they need to go back to kindergarten and start all over again. And what he was talking about is, is just kind of restarting and there is a pathway back to reconciliation. And I agree with him and the way that's been used against me. I'm a broken man. I've made my own mistakes as well in leadership and people can point their fingers all day long and say, well, he shouldn't be a pastor. And to be honest, none of us should. I mean, we all disqualify ourselves probably more than we even want to admit. But, But if there's repentance, that's a different thing. And if it's an instance of sin versus a lifelong pattern of sin or a season of sin, that's different. So, so to answer your question directly on the restoration, I think a person can start coming back when we true when we see the fruits of true repentance beginning to emerge in their life, and when they've they've confessed their sin to the appropriate parties that are affected. Um, I I don't believe First Timothy five nineteen and twenty are calling that all pastors need to confess all sin to all people, but I think that that if they have repented correctly and confessed their sin to those who are affected or maybe others that can hold them accountable then they can begin to walk down a path of being restored and um, I think it's humility, I think it's repentance. I think it's it's a, a willing to walk through a path to regain trust. all of those things are important for a person to start coming back and serve in full-time ministry.
0: yeah Josh, you, you mentioned that we're all broken uh, and obviously we are and, and uh, you know God uses us um, in, in various ways in ministry and, and for those who are listening in you know different pastors and ministry leaders um uh, we can all identify the fact that, you know, there are times that we just make poor decisions. Um, there are times that we might have a, a bad attitude, you know, about something, and, and we might say something that's hurtful to, you know, one of our ministry leaders or, or someone in the church. Whenever um, something like that happens, uh, what have you found to be, you know, the healthiest way and the most God-honoring way to kind of move through that? So when when there is a trip up, you know, when there is some sort of um, a failure, um, how do you see kind of processing through that and what does that really
1: look like? Well, yeah, I, I'm going to use my own life cause it's the life I know the best. Right? Um, I think for, for me, where that season has existed, and, and while I have some punctuated periods in my life that I'm for sure not proud of, and those are called my halls of shame. You know, there's a season that I can point to in my leadership where, man, I just I just royally messed up, and I should I hurt some people, and I um, I really caused some people to lose some trust in me, and had to restore a relationship even in my own home to make sure that I could rebuild uh, with my wife a trust that was right and god honoring so what it looked like for me was to come clean uh to at least from for me at the at the beginning was a small group of people who could uh, i could just say this is what's happening and i need your help and i submitted myself to biblical counseling to help me through it and um to to make sure that the sin stopped immediately and that there was no further sin or a greater disqualifying sin that happened in my life and, and then for me, that was a journey. I mean, I, I got to be honest from there was probably a two and a half year period of time where I had to work through things with my elders. My elders were extremely gracious to give me not only time to work through my own heart and why I got myself in maybe some poor decision making Uh, places prior and then for them to pray with me and restore me, um, submitting myself, being humble enough to, to show up to a counselor's office every week and to work through some really hard things. Um, that allowed me to then, and and then I should also add Jason, I pulled back from a lot of things. I mean, there were, there were just two pages of things that I've written down that I had to give up or stop doing just so that I could get back to a place of true health. So I think in answering your question, I think it's, it's action But it's also what we talked about earlier. It's motive and it's thinking. Uh, Is my thinking being renewed? Is my motive right? Is my action changing? Am I allowing people to step in on my life and walk me down a path of repentance? And then I think repentance, especially for church leaders and Christian leaders, I do think there is an aspect of it where others have to vouch that, yes, this man's fruit of repentance is sincere and we can fake fruit all the time. I think Christians are really good at faking their fruit, but I think you have to allow people for me, it was my elders and some of my closest friends. They had to be able to say this man's fruit of repentance is genuine. And we see that uh, that that then enabling him to take on more and greater ministry.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. Thank you for being so open with us, too. I, I certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Um, is, is there anything else that you that you might want to share? You have the ears of uh, pastors, ministry leaders.
1: You know, is there, is there anything else that you might want to share with them while you have the opportunity? <laughs> sure. Well, I think just... Just on that note, I mean, thanks for what you said about being honest and open. And it's a journey. I mean, some of my hardest years have been even recently uh, working through some hard things. But I just say, if you're listening out there and and you got some stuff going on in your life, first of all, if it's private sin that you think um, is uh, private, I promise you it's not private. It's affecting your ministry more than you know. And I have learned uh, good and well, that your sin will find you out and that God will expose things if he needs to and uh, in order to humble you or to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He cares way more about saving your soul than he does about caring, saving your image. And so come clean with that and walk a path of restoration. And if, you, if you're if you on the other side of maybe you've, you have, you've humbled yourself, you're working through hard things, but the spears and the arrows keep flying at you, I say, brother, sister in Christ, just pursue pursue truth, live in the light, and continue to honor the Lord in the way that you walk out the fruit of righteousness and the truth of the gospel in your life.
0: Excellent, brother. Excellent. Certainly appreciate that. Good words. Uh, Josh, how can listeners connect with you? If they want to connect with you, um, maybe on social or your ministry, you said that you have a, a blog, a website, it sounds like, they, that you write on. and
1: ha- yeah, What's the yeah. best way to do that? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, all my social media and my website is just under my name. So it's J-O-S-H, Josh, W-E-I-D-M-A-N-N. Um, if you find me on social media, just by my name or go to joshweidman.com. That's one way to connect. We also have a podcast uh, that we started uh, over over a year ago that um, takes my sermons and I kind of custom wrap them with some intros and outros. But that's uh, found at gospeldaily.org. So that's G O S P E L. C-A-I-L-Y.org. Excellent.
0: Excellent. And we'll have uh, links to those in the show notes for our listeners. Awesome, Josh. So great to have you with us. Thank you for sharing from your experiences and sharing how a God is uh, continuing to use you and shape you and, and uh, just encouraging pastors and ministry leaders who are listening in today. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thanks, bro. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a real honor.